Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson and welcome to the West Block podcast for Sunday, September 16th. On the show this week, Ontario Premier Doug Ford pulls the nuclear trigger to push forward with his plans to reduce the size of Toronto City Council. We'll ask the Premier why. Then former Conservative Party member Maxime Bernier names his new party and his policy priorities with immigration at the forefront. The Quebec MP is here to discuss his new party platform. And members of Parliament are back here in Ottawa tomorrow. We'll unpack the politics of the upcoming political agenda. We begin today with Ontario Premier Doug Ford, who launched a constitutional bombshell last week when he invoked the notwithstanding clause to force the Toronto City Council to reduce seats. This clause is an override power in the Charter, and it's never been used before in Ontario, often regarded as a last resort to give political leaders more leverage over the courts. So why did the Ontario Premier go nuclear by invoking this clause? Joining me now from Queen's Park is Premier Doug Ford. Premier, welcome to the program. Uh, You've had a big week, the nuclear option being used with the notwithstanding clause that is, you know, basically to help provinces protect their turf. You're using it to reduce the size of city council. Why do this? Well, Mercedes, I I don't call it the nuclear option. I call it the will of the people's option. Uh, We were democratically elected by 2.3 million people. Uh, We also campaigned on reducing the size and cost of government and Toronto is one of the main engines that that run run Ontario, uh, Toronto and the GTA. We have absolutely gridlock everywhere in this city when it comes to transportation. We had one subway line, uh, Mercedes, that has been voted on eight times out in Scarborough. No one can get around in this city, no one can get around the 905. You, you can leave Etobicoke, it takes me an hour and 15 minutes to get downtown because nothing can get done. Good governance in any corporation is seven to nine people on a board. You could have 20 of the smartest people on the board, nothing gets done. They wanted to increase it from 44 to 47. That's unacceptable. We have to get housing built. We have a housing crisis that people can't find housing anywhere. They can't find rentals. And they can't afford housing in in the city of Toronto. The average. But but uh, how does cutting the size of city council help that? How how does that help it? There's going to be decisions made. Uh, I've sat down at city council and we've uh, debated shark fin soup for 12 hours. You got to be kidding me. For 12 hours. We've debated uh, stuff that is absolutely meaningless for two days down at city hall. Nothing gets done down there. Let me go back to David Miller. David Miller couldn't build transit. Rob Ford, my own brother, he could save $1 billion, $160 million, but he couldn't get transit built. John Tory, he promised to get transit built, but he hasn't been able to get a shovel in the ground. Everything down at City Hall, Mercedes, is defer, defer, defer. We need infrastructure, we need housing, we need transit. Nothing is getting done. As a province that has promised all three of those areas, we need a partner that we can work with. Not a partner okay, that so is totally dysfunctional. And City Hall is the most dysfunctional arena, political arena in the entire country. Everyone knows it. So uh, clearly, and it's, it's no secret that you're not a fan of City Hall, as you mentioned just now, but this was nowhere in your campaign pl- platform. Uh, you didn't appeal it through the courts and your critics are saying that makes it undemocratic and that it's undermining the <laughs> okay. rule of law. Why not exercise your other options before the notwithstanding laws? Well, first of all, it doesn't uh, undermine the, the rule of law what, whatsoever. 
uh, I campaigned over and over again within even Toronto, spoke to tens of thousands of people in Toronto. They said, you have to fix City Hall. I campaigned on reducing the size and cost of government. And we're going to reduce the size and cost of government, not just in Toronto, but across the province and finding efficiencies and driving efficiencies. And people can't wait years and years and years for transit to be built. We need transit now. But why not now? appeal we're this gonna... through the courts, Premier? I'm sorry? Why not appeal this through the courts? Appeal? Well, we are appealing it through the courts, but there's a time frame too. And a lot, a lot of the critics will say, well, wait four years. What, another four years of dysfunction? Four years of gridlock? Four years of crisis when it comes to housing? Four years of infrastructure crumbling under our feet? We're trying to get the city moving. We're saving, we want to save millions and tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. My opposition, they're protecting downtown NDP jobs, politicians' jobs. That's all they're worried about. That's their main focus. I can't wait until one day the NDP comes in and says, we, we just found a way to save taxpayers money. Or we found a way to get housing or transit. Uh, right now, all they're doing is protecting uh, their friends' jobs and specifically NDP downtown councillors. You look at the vote, Mercedes, I believe it was 18 people voted for this. So there's, there was 44 people, uh, and they, they went out, and what's surprising, they made a big deal about reducing the size of council, but no one's saying a word when they arbitrarily wanted to increase it from 44 to 47. I have okay, yet well, to meet can anyone, I, can I Mercedes. Can the, the court decision, Premier? I know, I know some conservatives <laughs> think that there are judges in Canada who are trying to make law instead of interpret it. They call them activist judges. Is that yes. what you think happened in this case? You know, Mercedes, I can't comment on, on the judge. My, my hands are tied. They, they put a duct tape over my mouth. But uh, I can tell you one thing. There's a reason why they have an appeals court. Because sometimes, and I'm not saying this judge made a mistake, sometimes judges make mistakes. There's a reason why they have the, the, the superior court. They make mistakes and things get changed. Thousands of decisions get changed when it goes to the appeal court. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there, but let's make no mistake about it. It's in the Constitution. We talk to endless constitutional experts, some of the best in the entire country. And by the way, a lot of them don't agree with our party, but this was a no-brainer. I've talked to retired judges that have told me straight out, this should have taken 15 minutes. This is a no-brainer. But uh, again, we're, we're trying to drive efficiencies, build housing, build infrastructure, get transit going. And uh, that, that's the way you do it. You can't keep waiting and deferring and deferring and deferring. That's all the city of Toronto does. And there's no one out there agree or disagree with me because the same people that are protesting against us, the NDP, are the same people I know very well have come up to me over the four years I was down there and said, this is dysfunctional. There's an council down there that won't agree. It's a dysfunctional system. Mayor Tory well, has told here, me personally is it, is it it's dysfunctional. Is it worth potentially provoking uh, what some say could be a constitutional crisis if others start using the notwithstanding clause more frequently uh, in other provinces? Is it worth that over Toronto City Council? So if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, Mercedes, it's been used 18 times or 19 times in our country. What I have a problem with, when one single judge, and I don't care what his leanings were, but one single judge overrules a democratically elected 
government that got elected with 2.3 million people. The reason this was put into the Constitution was for these exact reasons. When judges believe, and a single judge in this case believes, that you know maybe they, they should make the laws and enforce the laws, I believe they should actually enforce the laws and make no mistake about it. I have a, a, a tremendous amount of respect for the judges, for the courts, for our judiciary system. I think we have one of the best judiciary systems in the world. But there's a reason why we have an appeals court and we have higher courts, because sometimes judges make mistakes. Uh, people see this as a pretty brash move on your part, especially early on in the mandate, something you've never shied away from. But I'm curious to know what you think of this. Your actions are being compared to someone south of the border, President Donald Trump. Are you Canada's Donald Trump? And what do you think of that comparison? <laughs> well, I have to laugh every time I hear this because the only people that talk about it are the NDP and the media. Uh, when I go out there and our supporters, the 2.3 million people, and I crisscross this province three or four times from end to end, uh, I've never, I never heard that. The only people that want to keep talking about it are, are the media and, and our opposition. I, I can tell you one thing. We've been in politics a lot longer than the President of the United States has been. Our family's been involved for over 30 years, serving the people, giving back to the community, and uh, we're going to keep working hard for the taxpayers because we ran on one basis for the people. And when the people can't get around in transit, can't get housing, can't get infrastructure, taxes going up, there's zero accountability, uh, we're, we're going to actually hold people accountable. We're going to hold governments accountable in all over 460 uh, towns in this province to make sure they maximize their budgets in the best way they can to respect the taxpayers. Well, that's all the time we have, Premier Ford, but thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mercedes. Last month, Quebec MP Maxime Bernier broke with his federal conservative colleagues because he said the party was too intellectually and morally corrupt to be reformed. Late last week, Bernier named his new party and vowed he would field candidates from across the country in the election next year. In a moment, we'll talk to Maxime Bernier about his party, but first, here is former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney on the divide on the right. Anytime you split the vote of a conservative or a liberal party or anybody, the NDP, you're dooming that party to defeat. And what I see happening with Maxime Bernier is not a good idea, I don't think, in terms of, of the conservatives getting elected. Mr. Bernier, first of all, welcome to the show. Congratulations on launching <clears throat> your own party on Friday. You heard what the former prime minister had to say there. Is starting your own party worth the risk of another liberal majority? I don't think so, because uh, we want to attract people from other parties also, like the NDP that they don't believe in corporate welfare. The program of our party is to get rid of that. Uh, the liberals who like uh, Paul Martin and Jean Chrétien, they had a balanced budget at that time and a fiscal responsible government. So that's not what's happening with the Trudeau government right now. So we can have some of these people and also conservative that believe in real conservative values. So all together, I think we'll be able 
to attract a lot of people from different parties. And that's uh, why we're going to be the alternative of the Trudeau government in a couple of uh, months from now. Now, you have identified yourself as a libertarian in the past. Some say your immigration policies don't sound too libertarian. Today, you're talking about the NDP. You're talking about the conservatives. Some have said you are flirting with the alt-right. Where does your party fit on the political spectrum? First of all, people who want to vote for us uh, were open to have people that are coming from different parties first. Second, we believe in a strong Canada, in a united Canada, and we believe that our platform, uh, it's the best, it is the best platform for this country. So I think that we'll be able to attract people from different parties, but also conservative. You know, when I resigned from the party a couple of weeks ago, uh, I had a lot of people from the party, from the grassroots, who are coming with us. Us. So we need to show to the population that we are the alternative. Who, who are names we might recognize who are coming with you? It, it will come in two weeks from now. We just announced the name last week, and in two weeks we're going to have the executive of the party will do that announcement. So we'll have some people from all across the country that will be a part of this party. Do you seriously believe you can mount... Uh, 300 plus ridings for the next Absolutely. election, all of the infrastructure you need, and defeat Justin Trudeau. Absolutely. I think we can be the alternative. Why? Because the way that we are doing politics, it's different than the other party. The organization on the ground is coming from the grassroots. I received more than five uh, uh, 5,000 emails since I resigned. People who want to be volunteers, people who want to help us to build that party. So we are using a lot of social media to be sure to be in touch with these people. So the way that we're doing politics, it's different on the organization, but also on the way to communicate, the way that we are communicating our, our, our message by using a, a lot of social media, uh, Twitter and Facebook. And, and so we're going to have time to build this writing association, I hope, before December, and after that okay. to have candidates. Well, speaking of messages, you've been severely criticized for some of the messages you've put out about diversity and immigration. Yeah. People are accusing you of giving a voice to xenophobia phobia, anti-Semitism, white supremacists. They say that you're feeding a very dangerous fire. What no. do you say to that? I, I'm saying that these people are not welcome in our party. People who want to be with us, they need to share our values. And I said I believe in immigration. I'm not anti-immigration. I said that I don't believe in mass immigration, but I believe that we must have a discussion in this country about the level of immigration. You know, the Trudeau government, they're saying that they want to have 310 new Canadians every year, and they had a report uh, from uh, Burton a couple of uh, months ago that are saying we must go to 400,000 new, new uh, Canadians every year. So I'm questioning that uh, because we want them to integrate to our society for them and for Canada, and we want them also to share our Canadian values. So What, what are those Canadian values? Because you uh, raise it a lot. Yes. Define for me, what are Canadian values? Yeah, respect of the rule of law, uh, equality between men and women, uh, respect and tolerance, that's important. Diversity, it's part of us also. Uh, this country has been built by immigrants, and I'm proud of that, coming from different countries. So we must uh, continue on that uh, path. But also, I don't want our, 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 our country becoming like some countries in Europe, where they have some difficulty to integrate their, their new immigrants. But is so, there any evidence that we're headed in that direction? It's, it's a very different society here than in Europe. Uh, absolutely. But that's why it's going very well here. I don't want in, the, in 20 years from now that our country being
being like other countries and having the same challenges that these countries are they are having now in Europe. So yes, right now we don't see a, a big problem on integration can and that's great. But I don't want that in 20 years from now. So let's have a discussion about the level of immigrant uh, for uh, and that must be in line with the economic needs of our country also. But we have a shrinking population, a low yes. birth rate, an aging population. Yes. Why restrict immigration? Isn't that the answer? Isn't that what most libertarians would tell you the answer is? Us, some libertarians will, will tell me, like you said, that we must open our borders for everybody. But we have a system, a point system that is working, but now the Trudeau government, want, they, they are changing that. So let's be open. Let's have people who can work if we need. Yes, I'm coming from both, and we had a lack of, uh, of uh, uh, employees in both, and so we need more. But yes, but maybe we can change the ratio, the ratio between economic immigration, reunification of family, and refugees. Just have a debate about that. I think it would be great to have a debate in Canada on that, and I want to have that debate. There is an increasing sense of populism in the United States, yes. in Europe, in Canada. Are you trying to capitalize on that with this party? I want to capitalize on the ideas, and, and I'm doing politics differently than other politicians. Uh, we have strong ideas for a smaller government, and uh, there's a lot of kind of politician in around the globe and in Europe and in United States. But me, maybe I'm doing an intelligent uh, uh, populism uh, kind of uh, politics because it's based on serious policies, policies that would be good for this country, based on free trade, based on open for immigration, but not mass immigration, based on a smaller government, based on respect the Constitution. So, and our policies are based on four principles that I think a lot of people share. In individual freedom, personal responsibility, respect, and fairness. And that's why we are okay. able to have a lot of support right now. Well, Mr. Bernier, that is where we have to wrap it up. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. MPs are back on the Hill tomorrow following the summer break. Lots on the fall agenda. And joining me now to unpack the politics of what lies ahead is Josh Wingrove of Bloomberg News and Tonda McCharles of Good the days. Toronto Star. Thank you very much for joining us. Our first journo panel. So Good much to, to talk right. about. Busy time. Josh, you've been covering NAFTA. We were down there together. Another week, no deal. Where are we at? I think this is going to be crunch week in a number of ways. The Mexicans have started pushing back publicly, saying we're ready to proceed without Canada, uh, but we'd like Canada to be in there. Now, the next deadline is not till the end of the month, but they need to generate text of an agreement. The lawyers need to get to work, and that takes time. So the thought is that if they can't get something this week, it's going to be tough, if possible at all, to get a three-country deal that can be signed by December 1st when the new Mexican president is coming in and doesn't want anything to do with this. So Canada has a choice. They, if they are able to strike a deal, things will move forward. And if not, our game of chicken is going to continue, and we'll see what Donald Trump will do. Well, Tonda, there's ostensibly this deadline for Congress, but the Canadians are putting out feelers that they might blow past that. Yeah, I, is don't there think a... that, I don't think they're feeling in a particular rush at the moment, actually. I think this is really, like Josh said, a critical juncture. But from the Canadians' perspective, you know, I think there's a, a, a bit of testing uh, the wills, right? Mm. Are, are, the, are the Americans willing to really push this uh, so that the Canadians can't sign on and can't, can't swallow what they're demanding. So I'm not sure they're going to meet the September 30th deadline, but I wouldn't put money on it because, yeah, no things, they are literally phone calls going back and forth, flights going back and forth. Is there an forth. election deadline, though, in Canada? Is there an unofficial deadline at some point where Trudeau needs to have this done? Well, look, 
I think they're buoyed by the fact that all the Liberal MPs and ministers I spoke to out at the Saskatoon caucus last week said that Canadians are backing their approach and Canadians don't want them to be bullied into a deal. So it's it's hard to say. I think that they I think that they see that they could even push this out past September 30th and into the fall. Um, I, I think that they're serious that they're not going to sign on to something that doesn't give them an independent way to resolve disputes with a country like that. Right. Okay. Well, uh, tomorrow we have MPs back here in Ottawa. We're heading into an election year, maybe even uh, these you know, snap election speculation mm. we get for the fall. But Josh, there's a tremendous number of things on Justin Trudeau's plate. He's got Trans Mountain, carb attacks, federal provincial relations are in shambles in some places, NAFTA, all of these issues, immigration. What are some of the challenges the government is going to face they have to defend against this fall? I mean, I, they have struggled to get their bills through the House. I think we're going to see them focus on the sort of nuts and bolts of that. It doesn't really make a lot of headlines, but they're trying to tie things up. Early next year, we're really going to be fully into campaign season. I think we'll also see them try to take victory laps, for lack of a better word, on things that they have done that they felt that they'd done a bad job of uh, of selling. This is a government that tends to be a little heavy on class valedictorians and not so much on salesmen and saleswomen. So I think that the salesmen and women will be taking over a little bit to trumpet things that they have done. We're already seeing that. And of course, uh, I think hanging over this uh, really all is NAFTA. I don't think we're going to see much movement on Trans Mountain. I think that the interest from the private sector has been tepid at best until it's being built or even know running so I, I think that one is sort of really on the back burner and really to be a question of Trump and Trudeau trying to position himself either to you know get a deal with Trump but also to make sure like it doesn't look like he's caving to Trump that's I think, toxic and, and, and Josh is right but also you're gonna see them sharpen an economic message which is what they need to do before the next election and already uh, so this week they will immediately bring in um, the legislation bring forward legislation to implement the trans-pacific partnership deal we haven't seen that they signed that in January that's right so yeah. they're gonna move it Monday and they're gonna bring it to debate and start getting that thing through that's a signal to Canadians that they're looking for new markets, new customers, and to the U.S. that they're serious about diversification. And then you're going to see them, I think, uh, really start to, like you said, pump up the things they've already done, uh, the benefits that are in people's pockets. They're, they're going to deliver more of a pocketbook message. Now, certainly there have been trials and tribulations mm. for the Trudeau government, <laughs> but the opposition parties have not had the strongest summer either. The NDP no, is kidding. basically just not on the radar. Uh, the Conservatives have split into two parties now, with Maxime Bernier threatening to eat away the votes. What are they looking to do this fall, Josh? Well, I think, I mean, <laughs> a tale of two Get stories, their I guess. Act yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, they both are dealing with a split. Right now, the NDP face a, a, a risk of happening federally what happened in Ontario, which is that the Liberals governed for what seemed like forever, essentially by moving to the center left and increasingly just to the left. For every one vote they lost on the right, they picked up three, yep. and it looks like that's the strategy again. Uh, and uh, you know, on the other side, of course, we've got this vote split, the nightmare of Stephen Harper and everyone that fought for years to unite the Conservative Party uh, could be realized again. Polls have indicated that Max Bernie is going to take more votes from Andrew Scheer than he is from Justin Trudeau. And so all of this, frankly, right now, bodes pretty well for Trudeau. You, we talk yeah. about his problems. They are problems of policy. Electorally, I mean, things are looking okay because both his rivals are having trouble getting traction. And and the, and the, where they're having trouble getting traction is going to play to the Liberals' strength. Quebec is going to be a big player in the next election. And so not just the NDP is struggling there, but the, the separatist forces are in disarray. So they're looking to Quebec to build some uh, momentum and to pick up seats where they may lose, say, for example, in BC around the, the, the pipeline that isn't getting going. So.
And Maxime Bernier trying to win some of those yeah, seats. He told us sure. he thinks he can win government. Yeah, except that he's a bit of a one-trick pony in Quebec, right? The supply management will—it's it, not a, it doesn't play in his favor in Quebec. And and he ha- his his other messages—he gave you mixed messages on immigration. So I, I don't actually see that you know he'll he'll build a lot of traction in Quebec. He could he could uh, maybe target some particular ridings in a way and have enough support to sort of break up where the conservatives might gain. But no, I, I'm not sure he's gonna he's not going to be the steamroller in Quebec we, that he thinks he is. We are, I think, gonna. I agree with Tonda. Spend a lot of the next year talking about immigration. Yeah. That's why I go. If he's elected premier, is going to want to talk about it. Uh, Maxime Bernier is talking about it. Doug Ford's talking a little bit about it. So is Trudeau, so right? Is it plays Trudeau. to his strength. Totally. Yeah, no, that's yeah. a fight he's it's not going to shy away from. That's this right. is going to be a dominant theme. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for a look ahead. We'll check in with you guys again soon, I'm sure. And thank you for joining us here Thanks on the show. Thanks for having us. I'm Mercedes Stevenson. Thank you for listening to the West Block podcast. For more, go to our website, thewestblock.ca, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget our bonus podcasts, which you can find on Apple iTunes and Google Play every Wednesday.